When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the latest instalment of the First Down Snapcast. Tonight I am joined by regular pundit Ian Davis. The comedian Stuart Horsfall is off sick this week, so we have got a special guest and he is the First Down UK's, we call him our college expert, Phil Lucas. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, it's good to meet you. Good to be on here. Excellent. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm uh, doing better than Stuart, the big girl. Yeah, it's... He's done well to last two weeks because his house. He was mentioned on podcast last week about the house was down ill, so he's done well. He did, yeah, yeah. So yeah, when when we first started his podcast, Phil, and when obviously we've had new people come on, we've just asked them to do like a brief introduction of how they've got into game and stuff. Do you mind doing that today? Yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of stumbled into the NFL in around about 1986. Um, there was an advert actually on TV for a part work collecting magazine, uh, literally called American Football, and I had, I knew nothing about it at that point. It's just one of those things that caught my eye, and I started collecting that week after week after week, and it then sort of moved across into the first down paper newspaper that was out there, and the various magazines such as Touchdown, and uh, I think it was one called Gridiron as well back then. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I delved into the murky depths of Armed Forces Radio on a on the way back from my girlfriend's at the time when I was living in the Midlands, um, and obviously Channel Four and onwards. Really, I've been a Cowboys fan since 1989. Uh, I'm I, I'll admit that I was a bit of a uh, a bit of a, oh, a freelancer for the first few years. I had a brief love affairs with the Seattle Seahawks, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, and then I fell on the Cowboys because in a certain way I, I just really really liked the story and the ability of Troy Aikman before he got drafted from UCLA to, to Dallas and for my sins I've been a Cowboys fan ever since uh, I did wander away a little bit during the uh, 
the Quincy Carter era, which uh, and the Bill Parcells era, and Drew Bledsoe, and etc. But then I, I came back, and it's as strong, if not stronger, than ever we've been, you know. Did Did you yes. used to play? What was that? What you used to play in that male fantasy football game? Yeah, it was by a company called SCP Games. There's a guy called Matt Hubbard who we all know, who also used to do it. Did um, you play that, Phil? No, no, my my uh, my only encounter with um, anything outside of this has been video game based. Really, it's uh, you know from from God TV sports football on the Amiga and uh, all the way through to various NCAA games and uh, obviously the the current iteration of Madden that we've been playing with you guys. Yeah. So there's you know, two of you so far, Ian, who's played this game? What this SEP one? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. We'll have to we'll have to have a word with Matt see if he knows anybody else who's played it. Also, talking about Phil will remember this. The first thing I ever remember about American football is before I knew anything about it was the Coca Cola advert with Mean Joe Green. In I didn't know who he was at the time. Can you remember that, Phil? I can't know, but the the weird thing for me was that it was like I said that part work. It was the things that struck me. I think were the uniforms and the physicality and. That's what got me more. The only weird offbeat thing was that my ex-wife worked for Reebok, and they obviously had the office linebacker stuff as well. Um, and that was a bit off kilter and a bit weird because they had a head office up in um, in Lancaster, and uh, the office linebacker was here, there, and everywhere there. And most of them hadn't got a clue what American football actually was, which is a a great thing for a company uh, that's that was promoting at the time. Yeah. <laughs> NFL news and rumours. So after week two of the season has now been and gone, there was many talking points. One we'll get onto in a minute, but two players have made the headlines since the weekend. One broke Friday last week, and that was the Cleveland Browns releasing Josh Gordon after six years of supporting him. So they were going to release him on Monday, but they were really hoping for a trade. And then at the 11th hour on Monday, he was traded for a conditional fifth round pick to New England Patriots. What do you think on this one, Ian? Um, it's one of those that could work because, I mean, we all remember when he was playing and he was stunning. Before he had all his suspension, he had an amazing season, didn't he? And you thought, this guy's going to be phenomenal. And he's virtually not played, has he? Because the last three years he's not played or played <laughs> off. Um, so it it depends how he reacts with the Patriots to me. With Belichick's either going to get him in line or he'll just ditch him, won't he? And but he could, he could be a great player for him. But we're just going to have to wait and see, aren't we? Yeah, because that that's put to bed, obviously. And in that, Stuart would like me to remind you in that in the process they have released Corey Coleman after last week's chat on the podcast <laughs> without a snap. Do, do you know what? Me and Stuart were talking during the game and. Stuart's got this NFL whisperer thing that he thinks he is now. And I said, I know we're going to be talking about kickers in a bit, but when the Minnesota kicker was messing up, I, I messaged him and I said, Bailey will be there by next week. And he sent one saying, Forbath will be back. Then when I was talking to him about it the next day, he denied saying that. I had to take a screenshot <laughs> and see what he put. <laughs> so he didn't get them all right, but he did get that one right about Coleman. Obviously, Phil, I know you've got a bit of a soft spot for Browns and getting to know you over like playing the Madden and stuff. Do you think the, the Browns' relationship just couldn't go any further now after six years? 
you think the ground had fought? We've, we're starting something new now and we just don't see you there. It's possible, but for me, it's a bit strange of a move because a talented player is a talented player and um, Gordon had the, the talent, uh, but obviously they've given him loads and loads and loads of opportunities and and this last thing where allegedly he turned up in some kind of state for a training session was obviously the straw that broke the camera back and I think them dropping on Antonio Callaway um, very late on in the draft this year and realising that they have got a hell of a player, albeit with potentially some of his own personal demons, um, made them realise that, you know, at some point you've got to look beyond what you currently have uh, and think about the future. Uh, Long term, I think it's going to benefit the Patriots loads. Um, Obviously, they, they did an incredible job with Randy Moss back in the day. Um, and they've done a pretty good job with turning Philip Dorsett from a number into actually a guy who's catching balls. So I think there's plenty of upside for New England. And let's be honest, a fifth-round pick is is nothing in the current it's NFL. It's conditional as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think uh, there's an element of Belichick starting to grasp a little bit. I don't think he liked what he saw this week on the pitch. No. Uh, and there's an opportunity there. But in the same kind of way i mean i saw a meme that made me laugh so much about the fact that you know josh gordon has just gone from being sacked by one of the worst teams potentially to going to one of the best uh, and it's a hell of a situation and if he doesn't take advantage of it he just needs to look take a long hard look in the mirror and think what he actually wants from the game well i think if it doesn't work here it's that's career gone into if end it there now yeah possibly but i mean He's always got that year, hasn't he? That that incredible year. And the fact he's only 26, 27-ish. Yeah, it's around that. I think it's yeah, and I think. I think the biggest problem with Josh Gordon going a bit off kilter is that he came out of Baylor when Baylor was going down the Swanee and everything was going wrong there. And um, it was a couple of years before Art Broyles um, left. But if you look for a trend, Corey Coleman was in there at the similar sort of time and you know, like you've just said, his career hasn't exactly gone away. So it makes you wonder if those kind of habits and that kind of experience as a young man has shaped the man he's become. Terence Williams have been there as well at the same time. Phil. Yeah, it was roughly around then. It was. A, there's no real. Age. Yeah, there's no real sort of timeline actually on it. But you know, back when it all went to pieces, Art Bryles got sacked, and you know, the team basically got fragmented and started doing nothing. For a number of years, after you know churning out players like uh, Robert Griffin III, um, although less said about the better, but you can't forget that rookie year. Um, it's it makes you do really, really wonder. I mean, Sean, Sean Oakman as well. Sean Oakman went from from being a potential number one pick to to not playing football uh, unless you count the the indoor league he's just signed with. So um, it does make you wonder where Baylor players from that era are a little bit tarnished, a little bit damaged, perhaps. Possibly. Yeah. Um, staying in the AFC North, so very surprisingly, Pittsburgh Steelers have had obviously all the off-field controversy with Le'Veon Bell. It's sort of got redeemed in Week One with the performances of James Connor. It's now turned back on the sour side again. Antonio Brown, when he went off the field on Sunday because he weren't getting any connection with Roethlisberger, his image has been throwing his helmet. He hasn't turned up to train on Monday. And we're also now saying uh, that Tomlin's lost the dressing room. Do we? Is this all news, or do we believe there's some truth there? Or at least maybe Tomlin losing dressing room over because they mentioned Brown being traded, but that's a no-no. 
is it though? Because do they actually need Antonio Brown? You know, they've they've got Juju, they've got James Washington. They've been very savvy with the way they've been drafting. You know, is the team in the at the sort of tipping point of of turning over? You know, how many more years has Roethlisberger got? Is it a fresh start? Do you get what you can? You imagine what sort of collateral they could actually get for getting rid of Bell and Brown. Purse for next year's draft, wouldn't it? If they did something. Exactly, and if you are starting over, then why not? You know, people are in their prime. Uh, people like Brown don't grow in trees, do they? We could do it with him in Dallas, couldn't we, Ian? Yeah, definitely. And and it's like, it's not going to particularly... I mean, obviously it's going to weaken. It weakens any team getting rid of Bell and Brown. But they have got people in place that can still do a good job for them. So it's not as though they're leaving themselves bereft if they do get rid of them. No, no. like Washington's play, I think Washington's played really well the first couple of weeks. They've done a fantastic job, haven't they, with young wide receivers with Washington and Juju. That's that's some drafting. Yeah, and obviously Connor, come, he didn't get as much action this weekend, but Connor's doing a stellar job at running back and it's forgetting that they've even got Bell at all. Yeah, it was actually been removed from all their merchandise yesterday as well. Yeah, well, I think it, well, it's just a foregone closure. He either gets traded before... The trade deadline, or he's just the year's just going to go, and he'll be a free agent. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a strange one because um, you know, is he going to tarnish himself if he becomes a free agent? There will still be people there because obviously the talent he actually does have. But there's another side that's starting to creep in now, isn't it? And is that going to put people off? Is it going to make people buy beware? Is he end up going to taking less money than perhaps he would have earned under the tag this year if they signed the deal? Um, I just think that you know somebody like uh, you know that, that the Steelers uh, are built to withstand this. You maybe can say that they're a little bit of a question mark behind Roethlisberger if he moves on. That they took Rudolph for a reason, and Josh Dobbs is there, and you know there's there's potential, there's talent in that team beyond the superstars. Maybe not talent to suddenly become an AFC champion again, but there's enough talent to move on. And you've got to remember as well that they lost to Kansas City because. The defense was awful. Yeah, uh, it's got nothing to do with Brown. They met, they put up thirty-seven points without really using Brown and with no Le'Veon Bell. No. Um, and the, chem- against, the chemicals. Sorry, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say the came up against the Chiefs, whose offense was just on fire as well. And that was without even using Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's the video game kid in Patrick Mahomes there's absolutely no reason why he should be having any success in the NFL you know he came out of college as a completely unfinished product who who played in a college scheme that shouldn't fit the NFL but then you put him in the right coach like uh, Andy Reid and you know he gives us a snippet in the last game of last year where it's like mm-hmm, maybe and then you look at the first two games this year and it's it's just incredible I mean that that kid is well it could be a, it could be a the future of the NFL, I'd say, at that position. Yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to see if maybe the hierarchy at Steelers are thinking, do we rebuild before the Patriots do? Get in there first, start rebuilding first. Because they're both going to have to, like I say, Big Ben's ain't going to go forever. He almost retired last year. Brady's maybe got one, two years. So is it, see, do we go first now? and try and establish the, the, the new generation in before another rival gets back up to speed. I think you have a point there. I think that, you know, they're so used to winning both those franchises that 
you know, will the fan bases tolerate or and will the coaches survive going down to um, a, a, a Buccaneer level from last year or a Browns level from last year? You can't ever imagine a Steelers or a Patriot team nowadays going 1-15 or 2-14. and 14. There's, a, there's an expectation and that's where I think Pittsburgh do have the edge because of the young talent they have selected and they have worked with, and they are grooming, so they could potentially survive an issue of losing potentially those triplets. Yeah. Um, and you've also got an incredible, you know, money-making story with James O'Connor, haven't you? Because, you know, he, he he was a very sick boy at one point, and you look at him now, and you give him the opportunity, and he's actually performing. Yeah, and it, it's also nice because he's a local lad as well, isn't he? He went to played for Pittsburgh at college level, didn't he? Yeah, and that helps win over the fan base as well because at any point in time where you can take one and inject it into the other, it's a recognisable face. Um, and you could see on the sideline he's enjoying playing the game and yeah, that's that's invaluable. Money obviously makes a lot of enjoyment, but actually enjoying what you do, I think, reflects on what you do on the pitch and, and the performances you put in. Yeah, definitely. So the biggest story from week two, apart from the Browns not winning, even though they should have done, um Several games were decided by bad kicks. Um, who wants to start on which kicker was the worst or had the most unluck, most bad luck, I should say? I think with the Browns, we were talking about kicking being a confidence thing, weren't we? And because he missed the one last week, the week before, week one, you could see he was nervous. And, and I felt a bit sorry for him. I don't know if you saw that thing with the Saints kicker actually going to console him after the game. Yeah, he just looks had missed one as well, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you knew he was going to get caught, but you'd also got a bit of sympathy for <laughs> him as well. Yeah, there's a bit of a side story with Gonzalez as well because he was actually kicking with a groin strain supposedly, which you know doesn't excuse those kicks. Um, but in the same kind of way, you've got to feel for him. A little bit because you know you look at uh, Greg Zerline at uh, in in the at the Rams who you know did injure himself and didn't play. So you know it goes back to that thing again with Cleveland. Unfortunately, about is is Jackson the man? Is Jackson the person to get them over the hump? Is Jackson the man to bring them um, you know a success? And making decisions like that would potentially suggest maybe not. You know, it's. I feel for all the kickers because I think kicking in general is is becoming undervalued. There's so much discussion about, you know, let's move it this way, let's make it harder for them, let's, let's perhaps get rid of kickers and just go for two-point conversions and stuff. And maybe the role is being undervalued within the league. And therefore, you know, it's that old adage of you, you, you get what you pay for. So if you pay pittance for a kicker, then potentially you're going to get a less than stellar kicker. Uh, you know, it's... It, I think that you look at the Cowboys, you know, yeah. the Cowboys get rid of Dan Bailey and we had that conversation, didn't we, in about uh, was it the right thing to do? Yeah. And then his replacement misses a kick. Um, yeah. That's exactly. So I, I have a feeling that there, there's going to be an issue with regards to kicking throughout the season because players don't get a second chance. You look at the what San Diego did last year with the Korean kicker. You know, he, he was gone in the blink of an eye when he made some mistakes. Yeah. Um, it makes you wonder the drafting, the scouting, the the, the process is somewhat wrong because it's a second thought and afterthought. Yeah, because obviously Cleveland's and the Vikings kicker are both drafted this year and they've 
Obviously, the Vikings guy's already been dropped to the practice squad now and replaced by Bailey. And the rumours Gonzalez is to be replaced by Blair Walsh, who hasn't got a proven record. He's, got a, he's already got issues about misses as well. Yeah, he's actually been replaced by another rookie. Has he been replaced with a rookie now? Yeah, a guy who kicked in the preseason for the Dolphins and, and made three kicks, and that's his resume, and that's what I mean about undervalue. You know, what, why go down that route? If they're going to lose games that close, then he's not going to save his job, is it? No. I think Vikings have obviously looked at the fourths. They released far back and tried the rookie, but then they've gone straight for experience, haven't they, with, the repl- with bringing in Bailey. They know what they're getting. Yeah. Especially yeah, in, in your last minute against Green Bay, and you need that kick. You'd, you'd put your money on Bailey kicking that, wouldn't you, on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Dan Bailey just didn't miss for Dallas until the last game of last season. He came back from injury, and again, maybe he was back too early, and he had a shocking game. He missed an extra point, and he missed kind of his two or three field goals, easy ones, and he just never did that. But that was, I think, that was just a one-off from injury. He'll, he'll, he'll do a great job for the Vikings. It's a great signing. Well, that brings the news to end this week. So, returning this week, we've got our week two high and lows. Um, who wants to start with a high moment from week two? Player or team? Um, so, go on, you go first, Phil. I was going to say something really predictable, Ian. I was going to say the Cowboys winning. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 you know, I'm a bit of a doubting Thomas for this year, and I'm, I'm not expecting a huge amount of stuff. And the game didn't particularly. Um, excite me but in the same kind of way a win is a win and um, you have to look for the the, the the positives and the positives for me are, are the defence that the Cowboys are putting out um, the the gambles that they've taken along with people like Jalen Smith actually playing you know paying out and um, we've been buying on Jones he's doing a good job of corner now isn't he exactly and that side yeah. of the team looks really 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 solid um, I'm still concerned that we've only scored 28 points in the last three yeah. games we've played um, but and I'm worried. I guess that it's going to paper over the cracks that may or may not exist, depending on what your point of view actually is. But yeah. the win is a win in a very, very, very tight NFC East, um, and they, yeah, they all matter, don't they? And the other, the other thing that I took from that game is Zeke. He ran for about I think it was 79 yards, but he had to fight for those yards. It wasn't a case of the O line opening it up for him. There was a few where it looked like he was getting stuffed and he managed to get through for four and five yard gains and he, he really earned his money last week, more so than he usually has to, I thought. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's character building as well because yeah. one of the things I had before the season was uh, watching Hard Knock, not Hard Knock, sorry, the uh, All or Nothing thing on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I thought his body language was a bit kind of negative and a bit kind of almost like a school kid and yeah. I wondered about his maturity. Uh, and this will be a season that will really, really um, help define his career potentially. I mean, you know, I hope it's the Cowboys long term, and I hope you know we don't become the team that somebody wants to run away from. But uh, you know, he, he needs to 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 go through some adversity because playing in the NFL isn't isn't a, a bed of roses, is it? All the while, as some kickers have found out this week. Mm. Yeah. Um. Go on, Ian. I've got I've got another high. Um, was you won't like this, Richard? But the Jags putting the Patriots in the in the place. I was going to mention Jags. Have they now sent a statement out in the AFC that they hate to stay without defence? Yeah, what was that? Balls. 
Yes, <laughs> Blake Bortles had a great game. I think yeah. everybody in Jacksonville is waiting for him to mess up, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a shame because he he seemed to over the last few games and from the tail end of last season he seems to have really matured and found his niche as that that quarterback that's not afraid to afraid to use his legs to extend plays and and get out of trouble and and basically avoid mistakes. He's becoming a bit more of a modern. Oh, I hate using the name, but game manager like what Alex Smith was actually labelled at. Um, and I, I I hope it can carries on for them, but. I don't know. His history suggests that he's not going to keep it up. The, yeah. I think it was impressive that they were able to that performance, and they didn't have their star running back either in Fournette. Exactly. You know that that and Leonard Fournette is is such an outstanding running back. He, the problem they're going to have to have, and they're probably going to have to focus, think, uh, sort of deal with it ridiculously soon, is the fact that he's a very physical runner he was a physical runner at college at lsu and he's a he was a physical runner in in his first year in nfl because make no mistake those a thousand yards he got as a rookie were hard-earned yards um and that's going to have wear and tear so when you talk about running backs having short shelf lives um the harder the yards the shorter the shelf life so if i was them going forward i'd be looking at how you can properly complement him uh, I'm not saying that the, the current sort of situation there isn't ideal, but you know, if you think back to the teams that have succeeded, like the Falcons with Freeman and uh, is it Tevin Coleman there? Um, you know, actually having complementary backs so you can actually give them a break. Yeah. Um, another one I noticed in the week, and well, at the weekend, on a high, in a way, literally, because we're very creative with some of the players, it was um, Tennessee Titans. Because that was a lot of people going into that had Texans all over winning that after how Titans played in their nine hour game in week one. But they were very creative with some of the players they were doing. You mean yeah. like the fake punt? Yeah. <laughs> but, but obviously, we can now say if that ever comes up in Madden, it's real because it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the, the biggest, uh, bravest thing that the Titans actually did this week? And it wasn't anything to do with plays, it was actually starting Blaine Gabbert. Well, yes, I did. When when I saw that, I was like, "Oh dear!" That's when it got me thinking. That Texans have got this. We're starting Blaine Gabbert. We've seen what he did last year over at Arizona. So, I was intrigued. I think the the new coaches there are definitely having. They're getting their stamp on that playbook now, and what they want to introduce in like how they want to play compared to last season. Is that because they're introducing a bit of the Patriot way? Well. I didn't want to say that, but they did bring like a, a running back and a cornerback as well to help. But when you've learnt from like Belichick, if you don't use it, you'd be stupid, wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, you know it's cornerback you're talking about. Yeah, Malcolm Butler. Yeah. Currently rated the worst cornerback in the league from performance. Yeah, I saw that. First two weeks. <laughs> Which I know is unfair, you know, that's going to even out, but it just amused me seeing that. Yeah, I think what he brings to the team, though, I think he brings a bit of a level head in, because it's a very young yeah. um, defence, isn't it, what the Titans Yeah, yeah he's been there and done it, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got the experience. Yeah. Um, any more highs? Um, well, Fitzpatrick again. Although, my high to do with Fitzpatrick was more the press conference. Did you see that? Oh, Conor McGregor. 
when he was dressed in Deshaun Jackson's kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. class. Do you not think that pest conference, though, who was a, a, a man who's finally enjoying every single last minute of his time in the limelight? And yeah. in my opinion as well, he's a man that's playing himself into a starting role for the rest of this year because short of the wheels coming off... Who in their right mind is going to yank him from a starting lineup? Yeah, you can't. I, I know Winston's a franchise, but you don't, when you're playing like that, you don't change it. I'm sorry, no matter what the coach is or any pressure to put him back in, you don't change. Yeah. I think Winston can learn from him. You know, Fitzmagic has been all around the league. He's done this, he's done that. He's had highs, he's had lows. You know, he, he, he came from a, a, an Ivy League school, if I remember rightly. You know, and, and he's made it a career and he's earned a stupid amount of money for being a journeyman quarterback. And you see him now, and it's what I mentioned earlier on about people enjoying playing the game. And he's obviously enjoying playing the game. And Winston needs to learn how to enjoy to play the game. And this will be a defining season because if they're brave enough to stick with Fitzmagic and actually ride his 800 yards in two games and eight touchdowns into the into the postseason potentially based on how they're currently playing, this is a team where potentially they've kept their franchise quarterback on the bench and their number two pick running back inactive. Uh, and uh, they need applauding for that. But I think it could be a really good season for Tampa, even if the wheels come off a little bit, even if they fade. I think going forward, it, they're learning an awful lot about the players they actually have on that team. Well, and you look at the, the first two the games. Yeah. yeah, but you look at the first two games they've played. They've played the Eagles and the Saints. Exactly. And, and the two and out. And they went to New Orleans as well. Yeah, yeah. That's it's amazing. Yeah. Right, I feel my first law, we might talk about this for hours, but I'm going to have to bring it in. It's not a team. It's Eli Manning. <laughs> he, said, he said I'm not allowed to talk about it. Well, I, I can't. Yeah, but I can't think that has to be the number one law from the week. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, not that I'm sticking up for him because you know he's garbage. But he didn't get any help with that offensive line, did he? It was they were literally stepping to one side to let Dallas through. You know, he got sacked six times, and even when he won't get sacked, he was under pressure constantly all day long. And, you know, yeah, some of that is to do with Dallas doing a good job. But a lot of it is to do with that offensive line not giving him any help. And um, we've got Houston next week yeah, as well. Yeah, Houston this weekend, so it's yeah. not going to get any better, is it? Got JJ Watt charging at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he might be tired at half-time. Someone mentioned it to me the other day. So, obviously, Giants are in rebuild mode. We know that. We're, like, picking Barkley up and they're doing some changes. Could either of you two see... We've just been talking about it. Giants trading for Fitzpatrick before the deadline. No, I, I, th- I think what will happen is that if they carry on going the way they're going, I think they've got it. Yeah, I think they've learned a lesson because they've released Davis Webb, haven't they? So they're you know their only backup really that they've got to look at will be Kyle Aletta. And I think that they would have to take a long, hard look at another quarterback if they go towards mid-season, winless, or with one win. Um, they, it is enough of a, an underline underneath Manning sort of doing that backward step that, that Peyton did towards the end of his career. And that name doesn't perhaps carry the, the value it should do for a team that's rebuilding. On the other side of it, though, I'm not quite sure 
what they've actually got in Saquon Barkley. I'm one of the few people actually out there who remains concerned about the fact that if you look at his collegiate career, um, regardless of what everybody says and all the hype about him, he disappeared in games. He um, he he took games off. Appeared to take games off, anyways. And um, you know they need to get him involved. They need to be making more of an effort to to run the ball, even if it's only paying off at two two and a half yards a pop, and getting used to getting hit, and getting used to bit carrying the ball and being the bell cow because. They need to probably do what Dallas did with Zeke in that kind of way and make him the, the figurehead of the franchise, especially given the nature of the pick they spent on him. Back to what you were just saying there, Phil, about Saquon. Um, I remember reading something. I said, I don't know everything about college, but every game in the NFL season is a big game. But against the bigger teams in the college ones, he, he, he performed against the, the weaker college teams, but when it came up against the big ones, it just, it was like you say, wasn't there, was he? Even against some of the smaller colleges, you can go back and look at his game logs and there's some shocking performances across his collegiate career against teams that theoretically he should run rampant over. There's backs in the in the college game right now that are running rampant over lesser, lesser opposition but not getting anywhere near the, the level of hype that Barkley actually did. And I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but I think people need to put the brakes on a little bit and start thinking about the type of player he actually perhaps was and the type of player he's actually going to be as a pro. Um, and they need to do it ASAP. They need to establish the, the identity of that team. They need to, you know, they don't have an identity. They're New York. You know, what are they? You know, they, do they throw the ball to OBJ all the while and that's it? You know, it's, um, I think that's their problem. They don't have any identity. They need to make a statement. And if it's, if it's doing the unthinkable and benching Eli week four and, and putting a, a, a rookie quarterback actually in and seeing what actually happens, then so be it. Um, they can't afford to be scared because otherwise they're going to, you know, waste the prime years of a number of players. They've got a lot of money invested in. Yeah, definitely. Um, any lows from any, any more lows? Uh, I have a low. I think that um, Deshaun Watson is a low, you know, that I'm mightily concerned that he's either come back too quickly from his injury or has regressed because of his injury, because he certainly doesn't look like the same player that he was playing for Clemson, and he doesn't look like the same player that was playing for Houston last year pre-injury, does he? No, he's... I did notice in the first week against Patriots, he was trying to get rid of the ball too quick, because he didn't want contact, and then he wasn't doing it as bad this week. But he got a lot of criticism against Titans at weekend, obviously when Klopp was running down, but they said he was holding on to the ball for too long, but if all the receivers were marked up by Titans defenders, there's not a lot he can do. Yeah, there's a bit at the end of that game that the final, you know, when the, the, the clock's counting down and counting down and he's running around like a crazy boy, avoiding this, avoiding that. There seems to be real tentative to actually make anything, you know, with his feet. But also when he actually does complete the pass to Hopkins, the look on Hopkins' face is like, what was that? Yeah. You know, where's the opportunity to make a play? You've thrown it to me short of the end zone when we need to score to win and we're out of time now. Um, yeah, he, he wasted that much time on that last play, didn't he? He did, and it's yeah. it's it's he's such a talent. There's so much talent there, and I I truly hope that he's not Robert Griffin the third, who's going to have an injury that's then going to transform the way he actually plays and thinks, and then be completely wasted because he was the most exciting player in the NFL last year. In the first five yeah. weeks, well, yeah, it he, was rare reviews for him. He couldn't do anything wrong. It was it was gold dust. He was going to be the next, you know, the next big thing, and and then he doesn't look anything similar now. And it, has he been rushed back too quickly? 
Has he? Is there been pressure on the team to come back? Is there a desire to try and make them competitive? Because they know that some of their Premier players, like what, I've got the clock ticking on them, or, or what? I don't know, but um, it's. I feel sorry for him if it is the case that he's rushed back early because the knock-on effect through confidence and through the rest of his career could could be quite long-lasting. Definitely. Um, I have another. Again, it's a split. I don't know how much of it's a quarterback, how much of it's a team. But the Arizona Cardinals and Sam Bradford were just a no-show on Sunday. I think he threw for 90 yards, whereas Jared Goff stat- threw for over 340 yards. Yeah, one stat I, I read from that is the very last play of the game, I believe it was, the Cardinals took the snap inside the Rams' half, and that was the first play inside the Rams' half all game. Not in the red zone, inside their half. That's shocking. Because I know there were were a lot of um, promising on the Cardinals at the beginning of the season, obviously. Larry's coming towards the end. David Johnson's back from a season injury last year. And obviously, bringing Bradford in and bringing Rosen in the draft. Phil, do you think this could be a case of Rosen? Because there was a picture of Rosen on the sidelines yawning. Do you think he might get drafted in sooner than we thought? I think he needs to be. I think, don't get me wrong... I don't think it'll fix the Cardinal season because short of Larry, um, who have they actually got to catch the ball? You know, they, there's a there's a potential there where David Johnson could secure an awesome amount of targets out the backfield. Um, but perhaps they've got bigger problems than that. Maybe putting Rosen in is actually putting like a, a lamb to the slaughter because that offensive line was offensive. Um, and I just don't know. I just don't know what they've got to offer to anybody at the moment um it's if i was a cardinals fan i'd be quite concerned about the season but perhaps quite excited about getting the number one overall pick yeah, definitely well that's that's twice now in 12 months that rams have um, nilled cardinals because obviously they nilled them over at twickenham in the home game and then nilled them in the home game at the weekend you look for a bright spot don't you and todd Gurley only played three quarters yeah, you look for a bright spot, and if you look at the two different teams, you know, if you look at Gurley's stats on paper, he didn't have that good a game apart from the touchdowns, but that's what counts, isn't it? Scoring. And the Cardinals just don't look like scoring anytime soon. They look maybe like the Cowboys looking like the league's top scorers. <laughs> <laughs> that brings to an end on the week two highs and lows. So it's that time of the show where we have an interview with one of our fellow group members on the two minute drill this week we have got Chris Mitchell who is your favourite team and why my favourite team are the New York Giants and since the Super Bowl in 2008 which Richard as you'll be aware we beat your Patriots um, so before that game I thought I'll, I'll pick a team and didn't fancy New England fancied New York so yeah I've been following them ever since when did you first get into the NFL and how did you get into the NFL? Yeah, it kind of follows on from there. I first followed the NFL as a rebellious 13-year-old, not wanting to go to bed on a school night. Stayed up, watched the Super Bowl, seen the helmet catch. And yeah, from then, all being about the New York Giants. Who is your favourite player of all time and why? My favourite player of all time is not actually a giant, he's um, the man that's broke his heart on a few occasions. It's the uh, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. 
as everyone knows, he, he throws the ball onto the dime, well, whenever he wants really, whether it's from 10 yards or from 50 yards, the man's, the man's a machine. If you could have a current player from any of the other teams in your roster right now, who would it be and why? So, if the Giants could have any player, who would we have? Well, probably be a quarterback, because as much as we love Eli and as much as the legend is, well, he's not as mobile as we'd hope. So I'd probably take Jared Goff, because I think he'd just elevate the team and he'd probably make the difference and we'd become probably one of the best teams in the NFL again. Are you for a London franchise or not for a London franchise? To be honest, I'd rather not have a franchise side in London. I like the fact we have a few games over here every year. You can Sometimes it's your team, sometimes it's another team. It's a bit of a mystery, it's a bit of luck if your team comes over and you can make that effort to go down to London and watch your team play or you could go down and watch either a friend's team or I think that's better than it, it, it being bitter. Could get a bit stale if we had a team over here. You might not get as many supporters, and you definitely won't get the mix of all the fans coming together every time there's a game in London. If you could visit any NFL stadium in the United States, which one would it be and why? If I could visit any stadium, it'd probably be Lambeau Field because every time you see it on the telly, that the atmosphere is great. There's never a bad game. There's never a bad game watching Green Bay. There's always something going on. And then I could get myself a little cheese at. If you could play NFL, what position would you want to be for on that team? Would it be a defensive player, an offensive player or special teams? Well, I think everyone would like to be a quarterback deep down, but to be honest with what I'm like, I'd, I'd probably be a tight end. Catch the ball, block the defenders trying to get me quarterback, can do a bit of everything. Not a master of one thing, but can dabble at everything. Who is the greatest coach of all time? This is possibly the easiest question. I don't think there's a doubt anywhere that the greatest coach of all time is Bill Belichick. The man's the man's a god. He just he don't matter what team you give him, how many players you take off of him, he just wins. He just knows how to win games. Greatest draft pick by your team, worst draft pick by your team. So the best player, the best draft pick greatest draft pick I'd probably go Lawrence Taylor he's well he were, he were amazing one of everyone you can see his stats it's there to see he's a Hall of Famer he is, he's a genius I think Odell's got an opportunity that if he takes it over the next five to ten years he could be in the same bracket but I suppose he's got a long way to go it's all good taking them catches and making them slants and scoring them touchdowns but you've got to do it you've got to win Super Bowls you've got to make sure everyone fears you and I suppose the worst pick well there's a battle there's quite a few bad ones there's there's running back David Wilson from 2012 he won't great but he then got injured so you never know what could have happened but I'd probably go with Clint Sinnott Tim from 2009 the linebacker that didn't tackle I think he made 33 tackles in his whole career, which sort of says it all. If you're a linebacker, you've got to make tackles, and I suppose it's just something you didn't do. Thank you for your time today, Chris. If you would like to get involved with a two-minute drill, please drop us a dot on our Facebook page or email us at thefirstdownuk at gmail.com or hit us up at tsnapcast on Twitter. So throughout the season this year and on the podcast, we will have regular droppings about the 
American college scene. But to get us up to speed on the college scene, we have drafted in our college expert, Phil. Phil, me and Ian, and quite a few people, don't, probably don't know the college game as well as you do. If you could just like talk us through it and what we're expecting to see this year, that'd be brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, the college season is very different to the NFL. Um, in many ways, it's a lot more vibrant. Um, there's a lot more different styles of play. Uh, some of the stats get ridiculously gaudy. Um, and it's, and the, the sort of playbooks are completely off the wall in some cases. Uh, for fans who like video game style numbers, then NCAA football is, is for you. Um, for me, the reason I got heavily into college football, because I'd been a very casual fan since the very beginning, was just the story of Aaron Murray, who is a, a quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs, who had a horrific shoulder injury and, and came back for a season year, season uh, as a, a senior. Um, and it was just that fighting spirit. So I immediately fell on that team. And, you know, so for me, that's been the main reason, the main drive. And I think anybody who wants to get into college football really should should find a team that resonates with them, uh, be it from a favourite player that you've got in the NFL through to, I know, colours, because there's some wacky things out there like the Boise State Blue Field. Um, it's, it's it's an awesome spectacle, and it's, it's remarkably easy to watch if you know where to go. Uh, for this season, it's, it's a bit of a bizarre season because it's, it's got quite a lot of filler games at the start. There's been uh, some quite crazy blowouts, uh, there's been some some interesting games sprinkled amongst it, um, uh, but if you look at the top 25 that's published by Associated Press at the moment, it's pretty much as you would expect. In fact, I think that the top five are pretty much the top five that ended up being around most of last year. Um, Obviously, amongst all that as well, you have uh, a multitude of awards. So the players get recognised at every single position, which, you know, apart from the Pro Bowl and the All-Pro all teams, you don't really get that in the NFL, do we? No, we don't get that. Yeah, so uh, they all have funky names, depending on what you actually want to uh, award, but they're usually tied to some sort of legendary player. Um, and I think it's quite nice. I mean, there's there's players, for example, like, like Ed Oliver at Houston this year, who... He's probably in the running for the number one overall pick next year. He declared his intentions to to come to the professional game a year early, uh, which takes about the confidence of the young man. Um, he's a phenomenal player and he's probably the most dominating defensive player since Aaron Donald. Um, and he'll never get the stats that will propel him to say something like the Heisman Trophy purely because he plays on defence He's not a quarterback, and he's being double-teamed all the while. Uh, but it gives him an opportunity to, to win an award and win recognition elsewhere and be recognised by uh, as the best person in that particular position within college game. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, the main, one of the main ones is the Heisman Trophy, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, uh, or the, the quarterback trophy, as perhaps it should be called. Um, the the amount of quarterbacks that win the Heisman is insane. I think it's something like fifteen of the last eighteen have actually been a quarterback that's actually taken on that prize. And this year is 
is striking up to be a really bizarre year because you've got players that are in the running um, for that particular uh, trophy who at the beginning of the season might have been seen to be perhaps long shots. Um, it's quite interesting in that kind of way, and that's how quick the college game can turn because you know, you're looking at three, four years, so the turnover of players is remarkably quick. Um, and there's a, obviously a limited sample size to, to make your claim, to make your statement and prove that you're ready for the next level. Um, I, one of the things what always confuses me on college football, so I watch the games on BTs throughout the season. Don't really have, I have a couple of teams I like, like, because uh, I like Todd Gurley and stuff, I follow Georgia a bit, and obviously with Michelle Link to uh, Patriots now. And there's a couple more, but what really confuses me, Phil, is all the balls at the end of the season. I, I get lost. <laughs> it, do, it does me as well, because they suddenly all seem to play in a bowl game. Yeah, well, it's like the ultimate prize. Um, it gives people something to play for. So the only thing I can think of that is similar is in like fantasy football. So if you have a fantasy football league, there's usually a commiseration um, playoff system for teams that were not quite good enough to get to their main playoffs. And that's how the bowl system kicks in. It has changed an awful lot over the years because back when I first started getting into American football and the NFL specifically, um, you had bowls that um, they would bid for teams uh, and obviously try and create the most attractive game for the people who are sponsoring that bowl. Um, whereas nowadays, the bowls kind of take second fiddle to the, the BCS playoffs, which um, will help determine a proper national champion rather than um, some kind of convoluted voting system which happened in the past that caused its own fair share of controversy. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I went to um, Dublin in 2016 and I saw the Boston College-Georgia Tech game, which was definitely an eye-opener to see a college game in the flesh. Probably not, probably the two of the main teams, but Boston have started off really well this season from what I've seen. Yeah, they've cracked the top 25 um, on the Associated Press list. They've got a, a fantastic running back in AJ Dillon, who is uh, an outsider perhaps for the Heisman, but mainly because he's a running back, but because of the, the school um, for him, the season, and I guess perhaps the season for Boston College is probably going to be defined as they start playing some bigger games because they have got some coming up. Uh, the highlight will be something against Clemson, which uh, Clemson is ranked third in the nation at the moment. So that'll be a real test for them. Um, I don't really uh, expect them to stand up very well to Clemson because I think Clemson have uh, a secret weapon at quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that I think he's going to be phenomenal in a year or two. Um, I think just touching on the team you support, Phil, in the Georgia Bulldogs. I think if I wanted to be at a college at any one time, the fact they had Gurley, Chubb and Michelle all at one point together, they, they, the, the offensive coach there must have just loved it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine that. Who you're going to hand the ball off? In in an, in an ideal world, um, you'd want to get them all involved in different situations, and that's the reality of college football. And it also shows the the benefit of of getting your recruiting right, which is something that Georgia have got better and better and better at in a more consistent manner. They tend to have a, a reputation as being running back you. Um, because of the list of running backs that have churned out over the year, from Herschel Walker to Nosa Moreno, through to Gub, Ch- uh, you know Gurley, Michelle, and then moving forward with Elijah Holyfield, DeAndre Swift, perhaps Brian Herrien if somebody gives them a shot. So they do turn out their fair share of running backs. But then, as they've evolved over the last three years with Kirby Smart as a head coach, who came to them from Alabama as a defensive coach. They've they've brought the Alabama recruitment methodology and become a lot more um, forward thinking. So you ended up with situations like uh, Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm, a quarterback at the beginning of last year. And unfortunately, Eason got injured. But fortunately for Fromm, he took over the the role and and just ran with it. And then this year, they're sitting there with Fromm as the undisputed starter. Eason has transferred to Washington. But, oh, look, now we've got one of the most highly rated dual threat quarterbacks in the nation uh, as a freshman in Justin Fields, which is why Fields is getting uh, snaps during these games, which are a little bit more easier than perhaps uh, most people would like. But um, if you want to, if you want to be, uh, have a look at how, how Georgia approached the running game, if you look at how many running backs took snaps in the last in last week's game, I think you're almost approaching double digits. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got any questions to fill in? I don't even know enough about the college game to ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have Phil, though. Yes, Phil but I need to do something first to actually think of questions. <laughs> Shall I give you a few names to keep an eye out for the as you go through this season in the early part of it? Yeah, really yeah. Especially for I'll work through. Um, they're they're pretty much all offensive, I think, at the end of the day, because that's the the, the area where most people will be focusing. So, a quarterback, you've got Justin Herbert at Oregon, um, very solid player, solid stats. He's doing really well against perhaps low quality opposition. Um, he's got Stanford this week, and I think that will make him define his season. Um, Drew Locke of Missouri, um, terrible freshman year. He's really picked it up. Could secure perhaps the number one pick next year if he carries on the way he's going. He's been quietly good this year, despite having a lot of hype coming into it. There's been not a lot of people talking about him. The key thing for him is he's got three games back-to-back, which are the Bulldogs, South Carolina, and then Alabama. If he can come through those big games with big game performances, then I think he'll solidify his, at the worst case scenario, being a first round pick next year. Um, Will Greyer at uh, West Virginia, probably in the top three um, Heisman Trophy winners, has done nothing wrong this year. Nine touchdowns, one interception. Um, He's got a fantastic team around him with David Sills, who's probably the story of the college year because he was one of the most highly regarded quarterbacks coming out of high school, was recruited by USC and then got turned into a wide receiver. That happens a lot, obviously. Um, And he's also got a backloaded schedule, so he has a chance to really, really sort of make his mark before uh, the games get tough. Uh, And then perhaps the final quarterback would be uh, Tua Tagovaila at um, Alabama. Um, fantastic talent 
Alabama are just potentially sewing, uh, drawing him unfair uh, cards because they're letting it. They're getting they're beating people so easy. I mean, they beat Ole Miss by sixty points again this weekend. They beat him by sixty points last weekend, last year. Sorry, um, and he's sharing snaps with Jalen Hurts, which is clever because you're, you're protecting your number one quarterback, but you're also hurting his reps and his uh, his national exposure. Um, one interesting one is the guy who replaced Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma in Kyler Murray. Um, why he's still playing college football, I have absolutely no idea because he has a $4 million odd dollar offer to go and play baseball for the Oakland days. So um, that's bizarre. But you know, he, he'd be the first player, I think, and I'm probably wrong, but I'll give it a go, since somebody like Charlie Ward to potentially win a Heisman and then bugger off and play a completely different sport. <laughs> Um, but apart from that, you've got random players like Daryl Henderson at Memphis. How do you fancy this? He's averaging 15 yards a carry at the moment whilst leading the nation in rushing yards. Wow. That's absolutely bonkers, isn't it? 15 yards. Um, and if you want a another player, uh, I haven't included him in the quarterbacks because he's really a dual threat one, but um, Cole McDonald at Hawaii, um, it's, he's only a sophomore. Um 1,500 yards already, 15 touchdowns, not one interception. And to me, at least, he's very, very, very similar to a certain guy who's tearing up at Kansas City at the moment in Patrick Mahomes. Um, my biggest losses for the year, and this is, this is where it gets a bit sad, is that when you have your filler games, um, it's a bit like international football, where you have games which don't really matter and they can have a knock-on effect to players that potentially should have uh, more spotlight and be more famous. So you have players like Bryce Love at Stanford, who's had a really slow start, um, is in danger of dropping off people's radars, both um, when it comes to the NFL draft and in in the college scene. Uh, there's questions as to why his first game was so awful. Um, second game was a bit better than he wasn't suited up for the third game, so figure that one out. Um, so Stanford, you know, Christian McCaffrey hasn't really set the world on fire at, uh, at Carolina. So is is Love going to be another Stanford running back that's uh, going to fail in the pros or not look very attractive to the pros? Um, quarterbacks, Jake Fromm at Georgia, very much playing, being a game manager at the moment, um, delivering when needed to. But, you know, has he lost some of the, uh, the hype that built towards the end of last year? Trace McSorley, uh, no Saquon Barkley. No real standout uh, stuff from McSorley. Khalil Tate, Arizona. Um, very young man at 19 years of age, but uh, Arizona has started poorly and it's been reflected now in his delivery. Shea Patterson at Michigan with John Harbour. Um, highly touted graduate transfer. Very mixed bag to start off with. And Jared Stidham, who um, he survived Baylor. The, the Baylor fallout, he was there um, as a as a freshman, transferred to Auburn, and this should have been his year to secure, a le- at the very least, a, a high draft pick, and it hasn't really happened. Um, then Ed Oliver, I mentioned before, defensive tackle, he's going to be a no-brainer. I'd like to see him playing on Dallas's defensive line, because then we'd have to stop drafting people all the while just to try and fill the spots. And then Joey's brother, Nick Bosa at Ohio State, you know, quietly good, um, and he's going to go very high in the draft. Um, obviously, we'll have you back throughout the year, Phil, on, on the podcast, giving us updates from the college game. But if you were a betting man and 
you were going to pick your Heisman winner now, who would you go for? Um, oh, it's tough. I have to avoid bias. I'm terrible at falling on bias of things. If 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 I take my hat off, I'd be very surprised if it's not one of uh, Tago Viola, Will Greyer, or Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Haskins, I didn't really mention then um, because I'm not a fan of Ohio State. <laughs> I'll be openly honest there. But the the guy is put up 800 plus yards at the moment. He's 70 odd percent completion percentage, 11 touchdowns. Uh, he's on pace to shatter all manner of school records. Um, he seems like the right kind of guy to use a um, a Dallas Cowboy coach metaphor. Um, and he just needs to keep it up. Um, if I'm put my my uh, my hat on the person I'd like to win it, I think Greyer at West Virginia because. Uh, he can't do anything wrong, you know, and he seems unflustered. He seems level-headed, uh, and I think he's going to translate really well to the pro game. And I think he's going to be an awesome player. I think it'd be one of those two. I think I think it's a year too too early for Tagovailoa at Alabama because, you know, if you're not getting on the field because you're destroying people, you're not really, you know, um, getting people excited, and you're not really therefore going to potential or you shouldn't really win the best to- the, the trophy to say you're the best player of them all because you've, you've played 50% of a game yeah definitely well thank you very much Phil this week for that insight into the world of college football I can imagine Ian has been scribbling down everything you've said or he's had he, he's also been recording it on his phone <laughs> yes yeah, so I'm going to pretend to be I know what I'm talking about how about this Ian what about Drew Locke going to Dallas next year you reckon I reckon we'll take a quarterback. I, well, I don't want to get into it because obviously it's. <laughs> I, I could go on about for ages about Dak, but um, I, I have a sneaky feeling that we might be going for a quarterback early next year. So it's a time of the show where we're going to look at about four games of the coming week in week three. Um, first game we're going to start with tonight is the Thursday night game. Um, Cleveland Browns Jets. Who fancies the Browns to finally get over the two close games and punish a lacklustre Jets? Uh, not me. I think the Jets will win that. Um, I, I just think the Browns are just a shocking shambles of the team. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter who the, it doesn't matter who this draft or what they do. They're shocking. They're just terrible. So are, are we going back to that? It's going back to management again. So no matter well, how good a player you get, the management is still there. Hugh Jackson doesn't instill any confidence, does he? You know. You, you look watch hard not, and even his even his own coaches don't seem to have any respect for him. Never mind the players, and mm. I, I just think until they get rid of him, they're, they're going to have another bad season. And I thought they would have a decent season this year, but I can't see it. You know, they're doing better than they did last season. Well, the extent they managed to avoid defeating one game, but yeah, I think I think the Jets will win quite comfortably. Really, I I think that it's the Browns' first game they're going to win. I really, yeah. I think they're going to do it comfortably as well. I think that if you if you look at the talent they have in defence and you look at how their younger talent on that side of the ball is developing, I think Sam Darnold's going to have an absolute nightmare of a day or an evening. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to be a Kansas City Pittsburgh style scoring game, but I honestly think that this will be the one the Browns will win uh, and break the hoodoo. 
I still think they're going to head to a, a semi-decent season. I still think there's a potential there to to get to eight wins, if nothing else. But um, I, my biggest question mark with Cleveland, and this is no disrespect to Tyrod Taylor, really, but he's looked like a completely different quarterback to the guy who was pretty much mistake-free whilst playing for Buffalo. And um, he seems to be throwing some shocking balls. And my challenge for Hugh Jackman would be, at what point do you put Baker Mayfield in? Because even if you don't believe in rookie quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield did nothing but win. And if you want to win games, sometimes it takes a winner to actually be in there to spur things actually on. Uh, You had the subplot that, you know, Mayford versus Darnold would make an awesome sort of subline for for that particular game. But I, I can see them sneaking a win this week. Because obviously Jets have owned two. And Sam Darnold's had a few issues yeah, both of the games. Yeah, it's a one-on-one, one, I think. Jets are one-on-one, one, I think. Oh, sorry, one-on-one. One. He's had, I forgot a bit of the Lions. He's had a few issues in both of them games. He's still a very young quarterback and he's going to be learning throughout the season. So... Again, I think they're very similar to the Browns. But they might have a similar record, but it's not always going to be great news for Darnold throughout the year, is it? No, and the thing with Sam Darnold, like you say, is very young. Um, and some of the mistakes he's carried into the first two games of this year are sadly the same mistakes he was making in his last year at USC. Um, I just... I just fear for him amongst that Jet. And we're talking about the, the Browns being disorganised, but that Brett Jets organisation doesn't have a particularly great um, sort of record of, of surrounding people with the opportunity to win. Um, I think they need a, a round of applause because at least they'd let this draft pick take some snaps, which they never did with Kristen Hackenberg. Um, but I just, I just think if you look what Denzel Ward did in the first game against Roethlisberger, and that's a rookie versus a very seasoned veteran who's won it all. Then Ward, uh, Jabril Peppers, and you know that just that depth. Ogunjobi, you know, it's it, it, you know even taking ignoring Miles Garrett. I just think that that defensive talent is too much for a rookie to to overcome. I think that the Browns D is getting confident. They've you know they they ran Pittsburgh, gave Pittsburgh everything they possibly could in the rain. They gave. Drew Brees, everything that he, you know, they could possibly give, and and essentially lost thanks to their kicker. I, I think against the the Jets, they're going to find it remarkably easy, and uh, and I think Donald's going to probably throw two or three interceptions in that game, and they'll probably be the, the the turning points as long as they can convert them into points. Yeah, so I've obviously gone Browns, so two Browns to one Jets win on that game. And the other, the other thing that is a bit awkward for the Jets is. I think it's the, it'll be their third game in 11 days because they played Monday night football and obviously played on Sunday and now they've got the quick turnaround again on a Thursday night. Yeah. And that can on players too. Yeah, especially when you're in a late game on the first Monday of the season. Yeah. They get paid a lot of money, so they should have the conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing the Wet Jets have a problem with is that they, they, they've put an awful lot on Darnold's shoulders. Yeah, you know, that you know, where is that support? He's he's got a group of of receivers that are playing above themselves, but you know, the running game isn't perhaps where it needs to be. And I would imagine that that's something that the Jets will certainly look to address next year. Um, but uh, you're asking a young man to carry that team on its shoulders, 
and it's going to get tough along the way but he'll take his lumps and bumps and hopefully he'll learn from them and hopefully he'll be a step in the right foot uh, right direction and won't be uh, but fumble too um but uh, i think i think they'll go down this week i think that cleveland have, have had that sniff of victory and well having said that going back to what Inda said you know they need a kicker and they they, they sign a guy who's kicked in preseason for the dolphins and that's it so maybe that the team is a shambles and maybe they need to tank so they finally get rid of jackson all will be revealed for early hours Friday morning. Um, another big game that keep coming for Saints and Falcons. What both one on one going into his NFC South showdown on Sunday? Falcons Falcons obviously came back. They shouldn't have really lost to the Eagles. Superb performance from Matt Ryan on Sunday against the Panthers. As we've just touched their Saints creeping over that line against the Browns, bouncing back from Bucks. And it's Saints' first game at Rose. So it's going to be a tough night in, in Georgia for the Saints, isn't it? Yeah, they've, they've underperformed a bit, haven't they? You know, the one and one. And I, I actually, I thought the Saints were a good bet to get to the Super Bowl this year, and they've not really shown that so far. Have they? No, they haven't. Not the all the early season promise with based on how the defense was last year. They haven't really been able to get Kamara into too much. Obviously, getting came through to Michael Thomas, Drew Brees can. Throw for three yeah. yards a game and still do something, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Drew, Drew Brees from what we thought there would be. Yeah, but you, when you've got it's a bit like Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. When you've got somebody like Brees or Rodgers, you're always going to be in the game, aren't you? Because they can suddenly do <laughs> something. Um, and Atlanta, you know, they, they played all right against the Eagles. Matt Ryan didn't look very good in that first game. Um, came back and won last week. I. I think the Saints will do it this week. First game on the road, I think they'll win. Mm. I think they're overdue. I mean, I think that the um, the defence has gone back two years when it really shouldn't with the level of talent actually there. Um, I think that's a very concerning thing. And I think for the, the pre-season Super Bowl kind of predictions, are perhaps looking a little bit silly at the moment. Yeah. I kind of disagree with Kamara because I think that he's done what he can do. When he was at Tennessee... He was much more of that sort of fleet of foot back. He wasn't an inside grinder, and that's where they're perhaps missing somebody. And the players they've actually signed to cover for Ingram during his suspension are perhaps not that right kind of running back. Um, it would have been interesting to perhaps see a, a LeGarrette Blunt there or an Isaiah Corral, who are much more physical runners like Ingram. Um, but I think that, Sean Payton would be quite happy coming out the first four games, so perhaps two and two, yeah. and then getting back that running back. Um, I'm not quite sure to what to think of the game. Part of me thinks it could be an absolute cricket score, you know, a, a kind of uh, Pittsburgh Kansas City style game, and then the other part of me thinks that it could be an absolute snorefest because they both realise that there's a lot on the line, even though it's only game three. So I'm not sure. I think what it will come down to is is ironically which quarterback out of Breeze and Ryan perhaps make the less forced throws and potential errors. Yeah, so I've got this one. I'm going with Ian. I think Saints will do it, but like I say, back on your point, Phil, I don't know if it's going to be a low-scoring game or maybe how we had Seattle and Houston last season where it was just gunslinging. Yeah, Um, I'll go the other way. I I think that Atlanta will sneak it. I think that there's there's this, there's problems with that 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 defense in New Orleans that are going to take more than a week to sort out. 
Um, and I think that Matt Ryan will have a field day. Um, I think it'll be a close game, and I think it will be a high-scoring game. But I think that Ryan will end up looking like uh, like a Hall of Famer in that game, and uh, and they'll get their season going right. Which is sad because I'm a kind of semi semi sort of Saints fan because Drew Brees is my favourite player at the moment, and I have a Saints jersey with his name actually on it. But I, I just can't see it based on current form. Um, game three, what I've selected this week is the very surprising two and zero Cincinnati Bengals are playing Panthers this week. I've been really impressed with Bengals so far this season. After how they played last year. Yeah, I think that this game is is it's about Joe Mixon, isn't it? Because he's had his knee surgery, and it's going to be how they translate from Mixon to Giovanni Bernard, and that is two very different style of running backs. Um, it's it's not something that you know. It's an easy thing to sort of replace. You, you've got to change how you're actually playing the game, how you're approaching the game, and you, you're potentially putting a lot more pressure on Andy Dalton, um, and and a lot more pressure on your offensive play caller and how they actually use Bernard. Um, but they have been impressive. It's a shame that Mixon went down with that injury, really. Yeah, because I mean, Giovanni Bernard is is never really. He's done some stunning plays, hasn't he? He's so quick, but he's never really taken that step up, has he? No, no, and that's that's the problem. He's he's not designed for that as a as a human being, and you have to get creative. I think with your play calling. I mean, there's so much talent on that team. Um, but then last week, if you look at John Ross, you know he went from like, oh, this is the player we actually wanted in game one to was it one reception for nine yards or something last week, and that's from one of the fastest guys in the league. Um, it's a que- it's a game that that you need a quarterback that is 110% comfortable and has the full backing of his team. Uh, and I'm not sure if Andy Dalton really, really, really has that. There's there's always, oh, he, he was a nice pick, but and he's done this, but kind of thing. And there's always excuses about, oh, well, he hasn't got a tight end because Eifert's injured. And, oh, and, but they've got AJ Green, but we've got this, there's, there's so many buts. And, but there is a lot of talent out there. It's just about, utilizing it in the right kind of way and if if they can do that then they they have a chance to beat the panthers that haven't been particularly impressive i don't think i mean they beat yeah. dallas in week one and i didn't think anything amazing out of them i was you know i was almost horrified we lost to be honest it was it was the worst team on that night yeah, yeah exactly i don't think pa- panthers haven't done anything well, it's typical isn't it? it it's it goes back to these one-man teams and you're relying on cam newton doing something and against dallas Dallas almost got it back in fourth quarter. If Dallas had been a bit better in opening a few quarters, they would have won that game. And then mm. obviously, Panthers chasing a very good Falcons on week two. There was never in no doubt they were, they were never catching Falcons. No, I think that Cam though is is as he's finally starting to learn and he's finally starting to lead that team not just on the field but as a as a as a proper character a proper captain i mean that hit he took that late hit oh, yeah that was that was horrid and there's lesser players out there and better players out there that wouldn't have got up from that and wouldn't have been out on that pitch so the will to win i think is quite massive uh, i think they have question marks um with wide receiver still and i don't think they're using mccaffrey in the right kind of way um really 
and I don't think they're doing the running game the right way because you know they've they've got a potential thunder and lightning backfield with CJ Anderson and and Christian McCaffrey. Um, so the potential is there. It's a bit like the Bengals, really. The potential is there. It's all about the play calling. Um, and I do fear that one day Cam's going to put his body on the line and it is going to break. Uh, you know, there's, he's a big, tall, strong fella. But how many times do you want to let your franchise quarterback who's paying paid X amount of dollars, you know, do goal line, uh, you know, dives or, or take a hit like he did last week? Yeah, there's only so much you can do. Um, so, Carolina at home on this one. So, what are you guys thinking? Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I, I think despite everything, I think the Bengals have got a real chance. Um, they just seem, even with the running game issue, a far more rounded team at the moment. Yeah, and and I, I'm obviously I'm going Bengals as well this weekend. But Bengals have got a good chance of seizing their division now. You know, taking a big stranglehold on it to go three and zero this weekend. Yeah. yeah, I think so, and I think with if they can go three and zero, then the loss of Mixon for three weeks uh, it gives them confidence moving forward without him. But it also means that you know they don't have to rush him back if they can keep the, get the ball going and use that confidence. Definitely. And the fourth and final game I put in here because I've got two Dallas fans on the cast tonight is Dallas's trip to Seattle and the fledgling Seattle Seahawks. I like to call them now. Well. To me, the key bit of this game is, I think, I think Russell Wilson's been sacked 12 times this season. Um, you know, we talked about the Giants' offensive line being poor, and I think the Seahawks' offensive line rivals that, doesn't it? it with, with Dallas coming, the way Dallas are playing and attacking the quarterback, uh, I just think they're going to be all over Russell Wilson all day. Yeah, I think that's the the key to the game. Yeah. The problem I have with Russell Wilson in that kind of way is that he's such a special player um, and he makes so much happen outside the box. And I just think that, you know, he he, he just, you like saying about Rodgers earlier on, while Russell Wilson is there and the game is close, you've, you've got to have faith. Um, I don't think that, there's too much of an issue with for the situation they've got in their in their backfield. Is it going to be Penny? Is it going to be Carson or whatever? I don't think there's too much to be scared of out wide, but I think there's plenty to be scared of with Russell Wilson and his legs and his ability to create plays. And Dallas still, you know, struggle uh, at times in pass coverage, and we still struggle at times with the idea of tackling once you get past the defensive line. Um, I I think it's a very close game um i think that the 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 difference will be how dak plays um and how how the coaches utilize him i think yeah Uh, we know seattle in a rebuilding project um that it'd be interesting like you said i feel what dallas's tactics will be on sunday yeah i think they should just pound zeke um, pound Zeke, pound Zeke, pound Zeke, and then uh, mix in some shorter passes. I've I've said this for quite some time. Whilst I've had issues with Prescott since he was drafted, and because if you ever watched him play for Mississippi, um, he had a huge amount of success getting the ball into playmakers' hands short. And when they started talking about making the offense a Dak-friendly offense this off-season, um, I really expected them to come out and start doing that. And especially when you look at the players they've actually got playing at wide receiver, um, if they can start doing that and allow Dak to make play- plays with his legs, 
um, as well as utilising Zeke and, you know, playing to our strengths, we should win. I, much like Ian talked about the Browns being uh, a mess organisationally, I think the Cowboys are a mess organisationally and I don't think they'll ever adopt that. I think they still think they can turn Prescott into a prototypical NFL quarterback. Yeah, um, I'm a bit... I don't know if it's is down to the offense how it plays. I thought we might have seen a bit more of Alan Hearns in the first two games. Two catches, I think he's had, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know he, was only, he was at the Jags, but Blake, he, when Robinson was unavailable, he was Blake's go-to guy, was uh, Hearns. And he's, the, he's yeah. a London man, isn't he? Because whenever he played in London, he scored. <laughs> I, think, I think he just sums it up. I just think, to me, we just don't... As a team, we just seem very dysfunctional and not know how, how to use the talent we actually have. I don't know if Ian agrees, but we just yeah. seem to be, I don't know, throwing players at things and hoping it sticks. It it happened over the last few years on the defensive line where they would draft player after player and sign free agent after free agent and just throw it at that line and hope they'd find a superstar or do like we did with Randy Gregory and give him seven billion chances and, you know, and, and him still not contribute. And I just have this feeling that, that that's the mentality of the team is that you've got you've got players who have succeeded and have the ability and they really don't need coaching or shaping or or making into NFL players and that's where we keep on falling over. I mean we've just it's just shocking as a fan at the moment looking at these games. And it's shocking for me to think that the Cowboys could win this, be two and one. And everybody's going to forget about the issues that they still have working behind the paper thin facade we've actually put on it. Yeah. yeah. So just bringing that one to end there. So Ian, who are you going for? Dallas. Phil. Oh, am I that guy? <laughs> um, yes, normally you are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that the Cowboys will win a very close game again and a very low-scoring game. I, I've got Dallas again, but back to Phil's point, a Dallas win Dallas. in two and one, it doesn't show the real problems. Yeah, Dallas by 30. Oh, who's going to score those 30 points, Ian? <laughs> the defence. <laughs> We're going to have 10 field goals. Oh, yeah. no, we haven't got Dan Bailey Force anymore. Fun, Force fumbles. <laughs> <laughs> so, to close off our show, as always, we are now going to mention our honourable mentions from the week. Um, over to you, Ian, with one this week. Yeah, um, somebody retired this week, didn't they? Monte the, the Bills cornerback. Yes, didn't um, didn't do it the normal way, um, and actually at half time just stayed in the locker room and told his all his players that uh, he won't coming back out, which um, is shocking, really. And you know, it's um, it just shows you know to me it just shows no respect. It's terrible, and he's been a good player, you know, but. People are now going to remember that. He's the, he's the guy who retired at half-time during the game. But and it's, the Bills have obviously... They've got a lot of problems. They're big in rebuilding it. Like I say, it's not something they need. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he decided that he hadn't got it anymore, you could, always, you could always talk to a coach and say, look, I'm not feeling it. He could still have come out, you know, and sat on the sidelines, whatever, and then retired after the game. It's... It's just beyond me why somebody would do that. Yeah, it is a very strange one. Any? Have you got any honourable mentions from the last week, Phil? Um, I've got the obvious one. I think that uh, 
what we should do at the beginning of every podcast now is have a minute silence for the death of kickers. Um, I think that, uh, I've said it earlier on, I think it's become a very disposable position. Um, and I think it's not been helped by the lack of success. Some of the more drafted players have actually not had, like, for example, Aguero. And obviously the Vikings kicker was a draft pick uh, and not a last round one as well. And I think that, uh, you know, kickers have feelings. Kickers, you know, kickers are people too. And um, it's a bit sad that they are uh, so disposable. So, you know, I think that uh, Dan Bailey, just to give Ian a big thumbs up, is the last of a dying breed. Having said that, no, because we do have people like uh, Vinatieri and um, Phil Dawson, don't we? We're a 40 plus. But, you know, when those kind of people move on, are we heading towards perhaps, uh, I don't know, a punter and a kicker rolled in? Because uh, we did have a the Rams punt to score an extra point this past week. But um, yeah. it's it's a bit sad. Uh, it's it's a minimising of position that potentially could win games. And just to drive that actually home, you know, if you go through week two's games, there were 10 games decided by a touchdown or less. To me as a fan, that highlights the, the need for that that kicking role, that precise kicker, that accurate kicker, that machine that you can can rely on and not do like Cleveland are done going to an untested person when that person could make or break their, well, their coach's job and, and the momentum the team has going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, my, I, I've got the one honourable mention this week, and it's old Chucky over at Oakland. So, obviously, after losing narrowly to Broncos at the weekend, again, he was questioned about... after. To, after the Bears won the other night with Cleo Mack and he came out and said the organisation have made a decision and we're going to stand by it at what point was he grinding his team and saying actually I've made this decision not the organisation and trying to palm it off that it is the higher people who've done it and not himself because I still believe he's the main reason he's gone yeah, I have a have a thing. I I really wanted John Gruden to come back and coach. I really did, and I really I actually wanted him to come and coach the Cowboys because I, you know, when he was originally coaching, I loved his his energy, his uh, enthusiasm, the just the personality he actually was on the sidelines, and then through watching him in the media, there seemed to still be that passion. There still to seem to be that that desire, that, that, that person that you wanted to spend time and talk to. But that person that's currently patrolling up and down the Oakland Raiders sideline and and making decisions like trading Mac and you know releasing Martavius Bryant and then re signing him, it, it it either stinks of the upper management being completely clueless or the him basically trying to manipulate his position to ensure that he actually gets the best possible position to select the players that he actually wants on that roster over the next few years, because it's a 10-year contract, I believe, he's got, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, is he tanking? You know, is he is he cleverly tanking? Is he cleverly tanking and building up, you know, uh, some sort of nice currency for moving forward? Um, I, I just feel it's he's, he's transformed as a player and, he doesn't seem as enthusiastic as perhaps he was going to be. No. Um, any more from anyone? Or? I've got another word that annoys me a bit. Uh, is, are, we, are we heading over to Ian's Dictionary Corner? Yeah. Um, running routes. 
boots. And I know it's an American, it just annoys me as well. A rout is when somebody's getting battered, not running a route. So that's the <laughs> word that really annoys me. It should definitely become a feature on the podcast permanently, like a Ian's reading corner. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely something what is now cropping into it. Yeah, I've got some others as well, but I'll, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil everybody. No, that's, that's <laughs> all in one go. Just one a week. Yeah, just one a week will do. Yeah, right. So, so that brings us to the close of this, the latest episode of the First Down Snapcast. If you want to follow us, we're on Facebook at the First Down UK, on Twitter at T Snapcast. Please download and subscribe on iTunes and Podbean and all other podcast formats. I'd like to thank. Obviously, regular pundit Ian and our new pundit and college expert Phil for joining us this week. Thank you very much. That's no, been brilliant. Bye. Thank you. And we'll be same time next week. So, thank you, everyone. Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.